We're doing a little series called Gifted, talking about some of the uh, gifts of the Spirit that are the less often mentioned ones. So not the gifts that are in 1 Corinthians, but ones that are mentioned in other places. And we talked, uh, you'll remember in, early on a few weeks back, about the gift of hospitality and the, the value and importance of hospitality in the life of the church. And then last week I introduced the gift of encouragement. And so by, uh, by way of review... Encouragement is listed uh, in uh, the book of Romans as a spiritual gift. And, and I know some of these kind of gifts, uh, we, we, you know, when we think of, of prophecy or words of knowledge or healing, those are spiritual gifts. But things like hospitality and encouragement, we don't often think of those as spiritual gifts. We think, well, those are just good qualities in somebody, right? And, and they can be good qualities in a person, but they can also be a spiritual gift, which means that it's, it's a special sort of uh, empowering of that quality in a person's life that God gives you by his Holy Spirit that really has a tremendous impact across the board. Uh, and you, ha- you find that um, you have the ability then to, like, say, with encouragement, really encourage people uh, regularly and, and, and in an ongoing way. And so it can be a spiritual gift as well. It's so powerful. I, I was thinking about it this week. With, you know, especially in, in the realm of people that are like teachers or coaches, you know, you hear really good coaches, and, and they are always those people that are able to really bring the best out of other people. And it, it's just so meaningful to be able to do that, to see something in someone that they don't see in themselves and, and to lift that up. Um, and on that, I'd say while that is a spiritual gift, the book of Hebrews says that we are all to do that. And I, I think it's, it's a great thing to consider just how can I encourage somebody else and lift their life up. Uh, this, this particular gift is one of the most often mentioned in the New Testament. There are probably a couple dozen different passages that talk about encouragement. Um, I said last week that encouragement can happen in a, in a number of different ways. Sometimes, uh, often, it's with a word or, or, you know, you say something encouraging to someone. Sometimes it's not a word, it's an action. It's a little gift or, or some other way that you express something that brings encouragement. Sometimes it's just presence. And I, I want to repeat, I said last week again that sometimes when we, we have a friend or, or someone close to us, maybe someone else in the, in the church that's going through a difficult time, there is a tendency, and, and I, I confess, I'm, I've been guilty of this, to not uh, reach out to that person because we don't know what to say. And I would encourage you that in those times when you don't know what to say, reach out anyway and just give them a hug. And I think a hug can be one of the most encouraging things in the world. Sometimes that power of presence, just being there with somebody and you don't have to say anything, but your action conveys that you're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, we're together. We're in this together. Um, I, I, I issued a little challenge last week. Anybody remember? I asked you guys to think about encouraging other people. Did anybody do it? Anybody want to share a little bit? Any, did you have any experiences? Wasn't that good for you? That's good. All right. Okay, then. That's the way you're going to be you don't answer, I'll give you another challenge. Today I want to... Uh, character studies in Scripture are a lot of fun. There's a lot of different people in the Bible that we can learn from. Uh, there's a few that we can learn what not to do from. 
Um, but there are many that we can learn what to do from. There, there are some wonderful characters. There's probably this person today is the one person to me personally uh, throughout my life, and this is not just in the context of this series. For, for many, many years, I felt like this is the person I most want to be like when I grow up. If I could emulate any, anybody in Scripture short of Jesus himself, it, it would be Barnabas. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to look at the life of Barnabas today, uh, and uh, we'll get started here. Just, let's just have a quick word of prayer before we do that. Father, thanks so much for your word and just uh, the life of your spirit here in our fellowship. Pray you continue, Lord, to just enrich our hearts and lives with what you have for us. Speak clearly to us, Lord, about who we are in Christ and how we might be able to better encourage one another uh, and spur one another on to, to greater things in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're, everything pretty much that we know about Barnabas is in the first half of the book of Acts. He's mentioned a couple of times uh, outside of that, but very briefly. Almost everything is in uh, a few passages that we're going to look at today in the first 15 chapters of Acts, but we're introduced to him in chapter 4, where it says that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas' name was actually not Barnabas. It was Joseph. Barnabas is what's called a cognomen. It's uh, effectively a nickname given to someone based on some characteristic in their life. So if you remember back in uh, the Gospels, Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder. And they were a little hyperactive, James and John. And they were always wanting to call down fire on people and, you know, scorch somebody. And so they were the sons of thunder. They were kind of a little bit chaotic at times. Um, Not in a bad way. I like a little chaos now and then. Um, Barnabas is just somebody who was... He was one of the earliest disciples, first people kind of converted, and, and was a very encouraging guy. So they, they gave him this, this nickname, uh, Barnabas, son of encouragement. And one of the first things that we know about him is that during this time, so, so Luke, who's writing the, the book of Acts, is describing sort of a, a, a culture, a thing that's happening in the life of the church where People are sharing what they have with one another, and no one's going in need, and they're, they're really connecting in a deeper way than they had previously. And then he gives a specific example. Uh, one guy, you know, Barnabas did this. He, took, he had a field, and he sold it, and then he brought him the money. So here, use this to take care of people in the church. Uh, does that encourage you? It encourages me. I, I, I feel like, man, I would love it if that would happen right now. Somebody say, hey, I got this little piece of property over here in Sherwood, and I'm going to Sell it and bring in the money. I'll take it. Thank you. That's nice. Um, so Barnabas was a guy who was uh, encouraging not only his words but his actions. He was willing to uh, put his money where his, or his money where his mouth was, so to speak. That's correct. I got it right. Uh, and 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 follow through. 
Uh, we, we, we meet him again in chapter 9, a little bit later. Uh, it says he came to Jerusalem. Oh, I'll tell you what, what happened here. This is um, Chapter 9 is the passage where Saul is converted to Paul, where he gets saved. So if you remember correctly, Saul was a, a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the ruling council of the Pharisees. And he was not happy about this new group of believers, followers of Jesus. Heard about this guy, Jesus, was crucified, and now they were saying that he was resurrected and he was alive, and, and he saw this as a cult and as a threat to their tradition and their religion and their way of life. And so he, was, he was, took it upon himself to stop this. He was really, his goal was to stop the church, cut it off at the, at the roots and end it. So he was going from place to place, persecuting Christians, and not just persecuting, he was arresting them. He would beat them up and then throw them in jail. Uh, he would arrest them, and it says, the, the text actually says he was breathing murderous threats against them. So he said, I'll kill you if you don't stop doing this, you know, kind of thing. And then he has this powerful encounter with the Lord, and he sees a bright light, and he's knocked to the ground, and he's blinded. He hears the voice of God, and he identifies himself as Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And he, and he gets saved. He has this radical conversion experience. And so then coming out of that, he wants to join the disciples. So I don't know about you. I, I would be a little skeptical, right? This is a ploy. This is, he's going to say he's one of us now. He's going to sneak in, and then he's going to beat people up and arrest us from the inside. Uh, I would be... I, I would probably be a little reluctant at that point to, to allow him access into, uh, you know, the, the kind of inner workings of the church. It says in verse 26, chapter 9, he, that's Paul, came to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples. They were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. They didn't believe him either. He told them how he, and now this is Barnabas, told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so <laughs> when they were not going to allow Paul to join them, Barnabas stood up on his behalf and he said, time out. I want you to know that, that I vouch for this guy. I, I, I'm telling you he's okay. And I think one of the most encouraging things we can do for someone is to believe in them when no one else believes in them. And I know that, you know, thinking about this, if a situation were, were similar in my life and maybe somebody that I didn't trust or wasn't sure about wanted in and I was reluctant to do that because of fear, if somebody like Barnabas... You know, if, if Kevin McVicker or Wally Moore or something like that came to me and said, hey, this guy's okay, I'm telling you, it'll be all right, Th that would persuade me. I, that would change my mind because I trust that person. And I think when we believe in somebody that nobody else believes in, it, it, it's a transformational reality in that person's life. And to, to know that somebody believes in me can, can be astronomical in terms, of, in terms of our own identity and who we are as a person. And, and, and the truth is, what if they had not taken that risk? Think about it for a minute in this case. 
Barnabas didn't stand up and say this, and the, the apostles said, you know what? It's too risky. We're not going to let this guy in. Think about that for a minute. So who was this guy? The apostle Paul. So most of the books of the New Testament that we have are not written. Most of the churches that were started in the region were not started because uh, they, they didn't believe in him. <coughs> you never know. You never know who the person that you believe in today is called to be. That person maybe is, you know, the next Apostle Paul, the next Mother Teresa, the next Billy Graham. Oh, can we talk about Billy Graham for a minute? Okay, Billy Graham. Billy Graham passed away this week, 99 years old. Uh, you know, I, I got the little, I get the little news updates on my phone. And I, it, it lit up and I looked at it and, you know, Billy Graham passed away. And I was sad for about two seconds. And then I thought, well done. 99 years. I read something this week. Some editor of some teen, teen bop, top bop, teeny bop magazine said bad things about Billy Graham. And I thought, this poor kid, she doesn't get it. She, no, she's not trending. She's not popular. So the way she's going to get more popular is to say bad things about Billy Graham. And you have no idea what you're even talking about. Uh, perennially, in the church and out of the church, over the last 30, 40, 50 years, Billy Graham is one of the most respected people in America. This is a guy that, uh, you know, stayed faithful and true to the end. Faithful and true to the call of God on his life, uh, to his family and his wife. Humble guy, never talked about himself, uh, never said bad things about other people. You know, I, 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 I get a little perturbed sometimes with ministers who say bad things about other people. If you've got you to build yourself up by putting other people down, I don't know. I question that. Billy Graham, I don't know how long he was in ministry. Long time. He never had a bad thing to say about anybody. I, I got to hear Billy Graham preach once. Um, I was in high school. I don't know what year it was. Probably 74-ish. Okay? And uh, Anaheim Stadium Crusade. I was already a Christian, but I went to hear Billy Graham because he was Billy Graham. And I can, I, and so whatever, when, 74, how many years is that to now? 43, thank you. 43 years ago, I remember the message. Uh, he talked about, uh, his text was Psalm 102, verse 7, like a bird alone on a rooftop. And he talked about loneliness. He said, uh, there's loneliness in society. And he goes, you, you can be amongst a lot of people. And still be alone. And then he talked about the loneliness of solitude. He goes, sometimes we pull away from people and there's a loneliness there that eats away your heart. And then he talked about the loneliness of sin. He said, sin will separate you from others. And then he just gave this call about Jesus wanting to be your friend and Jesus wanting to fill that lonely place in your heart. And he invited people to come forward. And I sat there and watched people just stream. That's it. That was just it. So, uh, crap. <laughs> you never know who the person you encourage might be. Dang. That was not planned. Now um, I'm completely screwed up. Chapter 11, we hear about Barnabas again. 
if I can recoup. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch when he arrived, and he saw the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So what happened here, back in chapter 6, um, Stephen was martyred. He was killed for his faith. And when he was killed, the, the focus of the Pharisees and the ruling council at that time was, again, to squelch this Christian movement. And so what they did was they, they martyred Stephen and scattered the Christians out of fear. They, they ran and fled to different locations. But their whole plot backfired on them because now the Christians weren't in one place. Now they were in multiple places. And so they didn't stop talking about their faith. But now it wasn't all centralized. It was scattered about. So now people are coming to know Jesus all over the place. So their whole plot backfired. But <coughs> there was still a little bit of fear and concern among people about what would happen. So Barnabas is aware of the situation. And so he's going out from place to place, and he's meeting with these Christians, and he's just become kind of like a Holy Ghost cheerleader at this point. And he's just saying, you guys are awesome. You're doing a good job. Don't be afraid. God's with you. God is bigger than the circumstances we're facing right now. He's just bringing those words of encouragement. And then in the midst of this, people are, are, are being converted, and there's lots of new believers. And he goes, well, wait a minute. They need some teaching. They need some discipleship. So he goes and fetches his friend Paul. He brings him back, and together they spend a year just teaching and, and training and, and, and equipping these, these young Christians. So again, you see a guy who is really putting everything out there uh, on behalf of other people and, and really being encouraging not only in his words but in his actions as, as well. So it's, it's, it's pretty exciting to me to know that you can have that kind of impact on, on people's lives. We, we've talked here before a little bit about ethos, about corporate culture, about the culture of our church, and, and you know what that's like. Some of you work at companies that have a corporate culture. Uh, some of you may work at companies that have a very negative corporate culture. I don't know. Um, one of the things, there's a lot of things I would love to see happen in our midst, but one of them would be a culture of encouragement, an ethos that says we're going to be a people who lift each other up. We're going to be a people who go out of our way to make sure that everybody else is doing okay and that they know who they are and that, and that they're encouraged in their gifts. Uh, I always try to, uh, you know, when I have the opportunity to, and I'm, you know, conscious and aware of it, to tell people, hey, good job. You did a great job today. You know, I, I love what I'm seeing happening in you. <coughs> and so we could do that for one another more. I know that... Um, Donna's uncle, Jim Burns, is a, is a, is a Christian author and has a, a, today, a marriage and family ministry. But years ago, when I was in youth ministry, he, had a, he, was a, he trained youth leaders. And I went to a seminar he did one time. <coughs> and um, one of the things he said, he was talking about teenagers. He goes, catch them in the act. And what he meant was, catch them in the act of doing something good. When they do something good... Make sure you let them know they did something good and tell them that so that they're encouraged to do it again. And it was just that kind of thing of, of make sure you let people know who they are and, and what they're doing that makes a difference to them. So then we move to chapter 14 and we, we see Barnabas again. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and never walked. 
He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called out, Stand up on your feet, and at that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul they called Hermes, (coughs) because he was the chief speaker, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city. (coughs) The priest brought bulls and wreaths to the city gate. He and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But uh, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out in the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We're, we're only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things, the idols, to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So um, another encouraging quality, I think, is humility. To be humble. Um, I mentioned getting a little perturbed from time to time with, with ministers who, uh, or anybody really, who has a need to put other people down, to build themselves up, something I find uh, very appealing and attractive is humility in a person. I found when a person is humble, I almost always want to hear what they have to say. You know what I mean? When somebody is kind of arrogant and they have kind of this attitude of, I know it all, I tend to kind of go, I don't think they have anything to really teach me. And I might be turned off by wanting to hear them. I I very rarely would, (coughs) sorry about that, guys, listen to a podcast or, or, you know, a teaching by somebody that is kind of cocky. But (coughs) humble people, I want to hear from them. Even though they may not think they have anything to offer, I always want to know what they have because I think there's something in there. And and Barnabas here and and Paul really exhibit a, a humility. People are calling them gods. And, and this is not unusual because uh, they lived in a, in a polytheistic society where there were a lot of idols and it was common to worship different things. But they're going, no, 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 no. We're, we're, that's not who we are. That's not what we're about. We're here to tell you about Jesus. And, and he's the one you've got to look to. And turned it, it back to him. So I just, again, humility is a characteristic uh, that is encouraging and can bring encouragement to others. Okay, one more little look at our friend Barnabas. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, <coughs> commended by the believers to the grace of, of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay, this is an interesting passage for a couple of reasons. <coughs> oh man! First of all, uh, it's interesting because Paul is now the leader. Even though Barnabas originally brought Paul into the church, there was a transition that took place. And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll notice that he talks about Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then there's a point when it switches to Paul and Barnabas. And then after this passage, Barnabas disappears and we never hear from him again. And Paul, the rest of the book, the remaining last half of the book is all about Paul. So first of all, Barnabas has become the leader I mean, Paul has become the leader, and Barnabas has 
yielded to that. He recognizes that Paul's the leader, so he doesn't try to you know, hold on to his position. He, he lets it go. He goes, if this guy's the leader, he's the leader, I'll take the second spot, no problem. So, so that's there. And then the other thing is that <coughs> despite Paul now being the leader, Barnabas stands up for somebody that he believes in, and in the same way that he stood up for Paul early on, he now stands up for John Mark. And uh, you're just an angel. <laughs> oh, gosh, thank you. He stands up for John Mark. And so Mark had um, apparently, and we don't know other than this text, you know, taken a, a break, gone off the rails a little bit early on. So now Paul's going, I don't know, this kid, he's, he's kind of, you know, we, we just let's not take him. And Barnabas stands up for him, and he believes in him. And so that he, he's able to speak his mind, and then ultimately they don't come to an agreement, so they go two separate ways. So here's the thing. At the end of Paul's life, he is, uh, he's alone in prison. And if you look at the end of 2 Timothy, it says that all of his friends have left him. Only Luke is with him and the rest have gone away. And he says this, goes, would you call John Mark and have him come be with me because he's always, he's always a good guy to have around. Barnabas was right. John Mark was worth standing up for. He believed in him, and at the end, John Mark came back around, and Paul and he were reconciled, and uh, he became valuable to Paul. So let me just say this, that the gift of encouragement has tremendous power to transform people's lives. And if we can, in some simple way, be willing to just speak or live encouraging things towards one another throughout the context of our lives day to day, week in, week out, we have the opportunity to to really see transformation take place and for people to walk into the fullness of what God has for them. So I would just encourage you in that. Why don't we uh, go ahead and stand?